This morning, we will be looking particularly at verses 18 through 23. God's word says, Then the the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heaven and to every beast for the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Lord, please give us your illumination, Holy Spirit as we consider your call for women. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you know, I happen to be surrounded by a few females. I started out with five daughters, picked up another two through spiritual adoption, got a mom still very much part of our lives, a wife that nothing on this earth compares to. That's a lot of femininity in my house. Uh, Someone years ago told me that God gave me a lot of daughters because he knew I would be understanding for them and and be loving toward them. And I was like, yeah, it's partly true. But I I think on the other side of the spectrum in that, I think the Lord needed, uh, the Lord knew I needed a lot of refining and the particular refining that comes when women are a part of your life. That's what I needed. You know, I, I pray, I pray to be the man that my girls need to set a high standard for what their husbands should be. But I must admit that at times I have often asked the question of Professor Higgins and my fair lady, why can't a woman be like a man? Things would just go a little smoother. Why? this, This also is there. Why are you crying? Because I just don't understand. And then, because this is the response, I don't know. Hey, you don't know why you're crying. I don't know why you're crying. How are we supposed to help each other right now? <laughs> you know, God created us differently, and that's by his design. We are different physically. Uh, we are, we... <laughs> The man can pick up more things except open the jar. That's usually when the wife needs to come by and just pop the jar open, right? That's typically how it happens. But we're different physically. We're different emotionally. We think about life very differently. We are different mentally. We're different by God's design in order to proclaim his wise, beautiful, and glorious image-bearing handiwork. He made us different on purpose. But we must be careful not to treat our differences as being wrong. If you're different from me, that doesn't make you wrong. Now, politically, that's how we think. If you think politically 
differently than me, then you must be wrong. Because if you just understood what I understand, then we agree politically. But when we, when we look at God's design, we cannot look at one another as if, all right, God made a mistake with you, and something's wrong. The way that you think is wrong, the way that you're built is wrong, the way that you uh, respond to life emotionally is wrong. We need to be careful not to treat differences as wrong. Our designed differences are complementary. And when we live according to God's design, there is a beautiful harmony that occurs. And when that harmony is on display, the image of God shines gloriously. Like when, uh, if you've ever watched, I've actually looked online for this, and the internet says that uh, figure skating is the most popular uh, Winter Olympic sport, and it's popular in my house. A lot of females want to watch that. But the, the pairs, figure skating, there's something harmonious and, and the synchrony that they have. It's really beautiful. And just as when men uh, are, are biblically men and women embrace their biblical roles that by God's design, there is a, 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 a harmony about biblical manhood and biblical femininity that really leaves the world in awe of God's design. Now, just like last week we considered we need to be discerning of culture's misunderstanding of manhood, we need to be equally discerning of culture's misdirected pressure placed on women. Where culture looks for men to be more woman-like, it also looks for women to be more man-like. Particularly, to be independent of man. I don't need man to do anything. Women's push for equality is pressure on every woman to reject limitations. Whether they're perceived or actual, reject all limitations and live as man lives. You should be able to be empowered to live your life independent of man, to do everything that he does and have all the, everything that, that he longs for. Now, this push to reject limitations, it translates into the expectation for all women to seek out and even sell out for careers to prove that they don't need a man. There's a pressure for girls to aspire to a culturally defined success, which means if you don't go after, if you're a young girl, and you don't have aspirations for a, a superior career, that culturally speaking, then really you're just giving up on your mind, you're giving up on your life, and you're just going to be, just going to live a slave life as a wife and a mother. Women are told to be free of man, but we know this does more harm than good. And I forgot to mention this last week as well. When culture wants to reorder the, their created order, there's also in our culture that it's full force in our culture with the LGBTQ plus community, there's the reordering of physical design as well. But a man who thinks that he's a woman trapped inside a man's body and wants to reorder his physical body to be who he wants to be on the inside, actually it does more harm than good. Rather than freeing himself to be who he thinks he is, he's actually putting more limitations and restraints because he's, he's bottling up the image-bearing 
that really sets us free when we embrace what God has for us. Same, same goes for a woman who, who wants to live as a man to the extreme. Well, I'm going to change my appearance. I'm going to change and reorder my physical body to be a man. That's more harmful because it, it tells God, I'm God. But it puts more restraint and more oppression, not the freedom that they long for. It, it, it takes their identity and blurs and distorts their identity rather than uh, refine it. And I think they're looking to have a refined identity. But if we don't look for identity in Christ, we're, being, we're, we're, we're pursuing destruction of our own souls. Now consider, in thinking about limitations, think about this example. Two people jump out of a plane. One has a parachute and one does not. The one without the parachute, the limitations of the parachute, feels free while they're falling, right? Free, I don't have this limitation. Get all these limitations off of me. Forget this. But the one with the parachute has some limitations but is able to experience the freedom of that free fall because they know I'm not going to die. So which one's really free? You know, Tim Keller uses the example all the time. We don't go around, you know, I don't know if you go into Walmart and go into the fish section and you're just like, you know what, these fish need to be free. They are bound up in these four clear walls. Everybody can look at them and judge them for their colors and their size. They just need to be free. Nobody's going in there like taking the net like, all right, be free. Because they would die out of the water. See, limitations are part of God's design. Because you recognize he places limitations on himself. Freely chosen. They're not placed upon him. He's choosing them. He's operating with limitations a part of his design as father. A part of his being as father, son, and spirit. The father wills, the son works, and the spirit awakens. And they do this in such beautiful harmony that when they operate in these roles, deferring to the other, they're actually exalting the other. So there's mutual exaltation amidst the mutual sacrifice and deference to promote the other. And that's how God calls the church and marriages to function. See, God does not, he doesn't call us to do anything he doesn't already reveal within himself. And he empowers us to accomplish it. Both when, uh, men and women are designed with limitations in order to promote the need for connection for the other and to the other, whether in marriage or church life. So listen, success and satisfaction and happiness are not found in the rejection of design limitations, but in the faith-filled acceptance of those limitations. Now our culture says, get rid of all limitations. God says, no, when you embrace them, that's when you find success and satisfaction. Elizabeth Elliot, in her book, Let Me Be a Woman, I gleaned much of this sermon from her work. Anytime you see Elizabeth Elliot's name on something, read it. It's got nice short chapters, not really long stuff, but man, they're powerful. She says this, oh, Let Me Be a Woman is a series of letters that she wrote to her daughter, Valerie, and compiled into a book. When you make a choice, you accept the limitations of that choice. To accept limitation requires maturity. 
The child has not yet learned that it can't have everything. What it sees, it wants. What it does not get, it screams for. It has to grow up to realize that saying yes to happiness also means saying no to yourself. Our culture does not get that because that's a spiritually discerned principle. We see that in Jesus, and so we replicate what Jesus did, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And now I use in the title uh, of today's message, Fierce Femininity. And I, I don't use that word to, to conjure up this bold defiance. It's actually uh, an attempt to stand amidst a culture that wants to reorder what God says is blessed. And it takes a courage to stand in the midst of that type of culture. It, stands, uh, it takes courage for a woman in that fierce femininity to, to be loyal to Jesus living with a stubborn husband. And, and it means uh, being fiercely loyal and committed to Jesus in a very confused culture. When a, a, a homemaker is looked down upon, oh, you stay home with your kids? As if you've given up on your mind. You've given up on your, your career, your life, and you're a slave in the home. God calls it, God holds it very differently. He calls the church to hold it very differently so the earth will know. Now, ladies, your call, and this is a longer introduction because I, 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 was, I was asking the Lord, it's so much of this can be taken because we, we listen through culture and our experience, uh, just looking to, to help. I don't want to be misunderstood. Ladies, your call as a woman is beautiful by his design. It is first in salvation as a daughter of God. It then extends to your relationships at home, at church, and in the workplace. In each category, you are called to proclaim the glory of God as a woman. You are to be discerning, you are to be decisive, and you are to be delicate. There are times when uh, maybe perhaps a woman figure skater would lift up the man partner. We would be amazed by that, like, wow, that's pretty cool. But that would be an exception, it wouldn't be the norm. See, the proper expectation is that the man is there, and when this harmony of biblical uh, manhood and womanhood are together, there's the harmony that the, the man provides the opportunity for the woman to shine. That's what he's doing. I mean, so many times he's just kind of standing there, standing, skating, like this, while she's twirling, he's holding her like this. He's just the man. Here I am. Lift you up. But everybody's focused on her. That's biblical manhood. Biblical femininity is to be the highlight, and men are to provide the opportunities to have that take place. There are God-given opportunities for women in the world to lead in management of corporations. But women in those positions are not to take over, which tends to happen, take over a man-like personality. They're gruff, they curse all the time. That, no, they're supposed to be in that position as a woman. Proclaiming the glory of God as a woman. Girls are to aspire to do great things. And they are not to be told, oh, you're just, you're just a woman, you can't do that. No, they are to aspire to do great things. And possibly in categories 
that men have mostly done. Now, I, I, I've told my girls, I've said it from this pulpit, I'm really glad I, I, I'm raising girls in this day and age. When they do have opportunity, when they have a voice and a vote, I'm glad for that. But they still need to be girls that, women that God has designed so they flourish for his, his glory. God will also give grace to carry out all of these. Whatever, whatever a girl aspires to do, God will give grace so she does not forsake her call to be a helper fit for a man. You are to aspire and pursue living according to the glory and blessed design of God. So here is our big thought. When women embrace God's design for them as fitting helpers, under the loving leadership of Christ-like men, gospel light is set on a stand for all to see. I love how it, it's first to the ones in their own homes to get to see that. So let's consider, we'll take the same thing we did for the men, uh, design, temptations, and hope. So here's a woman's design. Uh, in verse 18, here we have now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, the, the, the animals that were coming before Adam were before he created Eve. So he's letting Adam know, all these, they're not your helper. He's making a clear distinction for Adam, and he's setting him up for, he's, he's, he's preparing him for how he's going to bring woman into his life. In verse 18, the Lord said, is not good that the man should be alone. It's the first time he said something was not good. All of his created acts, it is good, it is good, it is good. Here's an alone man. That's not good because God exists in fellowship. He wants his people, his creation to exist in fellowship. I will make a helper fit for him. So what is the helper? This word helper is the Hebrew word ezer. The word is used interestingly in the Old Testament. It's three occurrences. Here in Genesis 2, when it refers to Eve, the woman's connection to the man, helper, it's also used when armies are called to help Israel fight a war. And it's also used of God when it comes to help his children in times of crisis. So rather, let's, rather than a helper, like, I'm just a little helper. No, that's a weakness thing. This is not a helper from a weak standpoint. This is a helper that actually has superior strength. You need to come and help me. It's from above coming to help. A nation, we can't fight this war. Can you come help us? God, I can't live another day. Please help me. Ezra, Eve, Ezra, to Adam. Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield, Psalm 75. But I poor, I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Now, the psalmist is saying, up on the hills were all the false temples for the, and the false altars for the false gods. Do I look there? No. My help, my Ezra comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Moses names his son Eliezer. Eli, God Almighty. Ezra, strength. God is my strength. 
1 Samuel 7. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. We say Ebenezer and we immediately think of Ebenezer Scrooge. We shouldn't because Ebenezer means stone of help. And this is God. God to us. So whenever we sing that song again, here I raise my Ebenezer, we're telling God, you're my help. You're, you are the one that helps me. I can't have anything. And, and Samuel sets it up and says, till now the Lord has helped us. Now applying this concept of help, women are called on to help the mission and work of man in spreading the glory to the ends of the earth from a position of strength, not weakness. It's not like a man is working on something. Hey, honey, can you just come hold this for me? Can you just help me right now? Just hold this while I do all the work. No, that's not the type of help. That's just being a helpful servant. But this type of help is, I don't know how to think through this. Can you help, can you help me? Because usually the wife, when she applies her thought to what you're thinking, it, well, yeah, that makes sense. Let me just go do it that way. Husbands and children try to be right all the time. But mom's always right. Because there, there's a help that comes and it refines. It's wrong for women to think of themselves or men to think of women as inferior or inexperienced or inadequate. You don't give up when you're a helper. You actually come from a, a position of strength. Women are designed to offer the perspective that's often lacking in men so he is equipped to make decisions that are refined. And so God wants them to be joined together. Men don't see the whole picture. Ladies, you don't see the whole picture as well. We need each other to see it. There are times when I'm not in touch with the emotion of a situation. And Kathy will very lovingly and respectfully say, I'm not sure you understand really what's happening. Because I'm just, yep, that happened. And she'll bring a perspective don't think you really, like, think about this and this and this. And when she does that, I realize, oh, this is a whole lot deeper, possibly, than I was thinking it was. Or maybe there's an opportunity where she is, is emotionally into the details of a situation, and she needs my perspective to back off of it a little bit, to say, well, let's, let's look at it from, like, a 10,000-foot view. Let's not get into the minutia of it. Let's back up and look how we see things. How are we... We help one another. That's what mutual submission looks like from Ephesians 5, 21. Men are to provide the welcoming environment where a woman's perspective can flourish so the woman doesn't have to ask herself, can I say something? Gentlemen, if our wives or our daughters are asking, should I even say anything? We've not provided an adequate environment, a welcoming environment. It's usually because we've shut them down when they've come in the past. That's not a flourishing. That's not an environment that, that helps them flourish into who God's calling them to be. Now it's a helper that is fit for him. Eve was made from Adam, his rib. This was to indicate first an intimate connection of the two. That is alongside of Adam. He didn't use a bone from Adam's foot or leg that was beneath him, as man sometimes tries to treat women. Nor did he use part of the skull as if it was a helper higher than him. It was a helper alongside of him. 
He used the rib to indicate her role of being with him. I think that speaks to a friendship. It speaks to a, a long-lasting connection. Now, the second indication of the rib was the strength that it provided to accomplish the mission of spreading God's glory throughout the earth as man's call is. The rib is a bone that upholds, it gives structure, and also protects. It helps us stand up straight, and it protects the vital organs on the inside. The woman upholds the man with strong and dignified words of encouragement and shields him from anything uh, seeking to tear him down or nullify his work. Ladies, you know if somebody tries to attack your husband or your children, you know what happens to you. That's that's appropriate. We're to do it not sinfully. We're to do it righteously. But God made you that way to respond and say, wait a minute. Because there's a strength and a protection that you provide for your husband. Now, Psalm 144. I would say this too. Thank all of you faithful women who pray for me as your pastor because you are supporting me and you are strengthening me. Thank you for that. Psalm 144, verse 12. May our sons, may our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. You see what the role here, the sons, plants full grown, Spreading glory, gardening. What are the daughters to do? Be the strongest things for beautiful structures. That's a cool picture. Elizabeth Elliot turned me on to that psalm. Never saw that before again. Uh, before. But now I will always see it. Now the concept is true. Behind every great man is a greater woman. I have a really great woman. cried in my office when I, when I typed that. Kathy and I, we celebrated our 22nd anniversary last weekend, and to hear my wife say that she would do it all again is humbling to me, because I know the sinner I have been over these 22 years. Times I've made her cry. Man, I wish I could take all of that back. I wish I could just not do that. But here's a strong woman who says, I'd be by your side all over again if I had the opportunity. That's a pledge to still be by my side. So I, please know, any, any appreciation you have of me as a man or as an example in the faith or as a pastor caring for your soul, my wife loves me really, really well. He's a helper fit for me. Sadly, the enemy of our souls wants you to believe that your roles are secondary, that they're unnoticed, and they're oppressive. But those are lies, ladies. They're lies. Your role is not secondary. It's equal. Your role is not unnoticed in heaven. Sadly, it's unnoticed here. Noticed by ungrateful kids and ungrateful spouses and ungrateful co-workers, and ungrateful bosses. It's unnoticed, sinfully unnoticed. Now, when those things are going on in your soul, that's when you give in to temptation. 
Genesis 3.16, the curse on the woman after the fall of man and woman here to the woman. God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Here's, there's a curse placed on Eve and all women from Eve. It was pain. Now, pain is not the temptation. You're not tempted, well, maybe in some categories you're tempted to inflict pain. Now, interestingly enough, that uh, self-harm is usually a female-related thing. Guys don't harm themselves like that. That's why Paul has to say, look, as you love yourself, love your wife. Guys really take care of themselves. But it's the ladies who struggle and they'll cut They'll try to harm themselves. There's a, but there's a, 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 I think the temptation is to try to figure out ways to escape the pain. You want to escape pain. And particularly, I think it boils down in many ways, uh, a way to escape pain is to compare yourself to other ladies. So let's take what this curse is. First, there's pain in childbirth, childbearing. Now, I have seen my wife give birth a few times, and she, in that, this proves she's the strongest person that I know. If men had to give birth, I think the earth would have ended at around two. Not two generations, two kids. Like a guy would say, oh, I'll try to give this another. Nope, that's it. Not doing this ever again. God, nope, we will not multiply. But how do women compare to escape the pain in childbirth? Now, this is not, it's not a setup to promote Natural childbirth, I do have a, a comment about that in a second, but here is, I think it's in the endless pursuit of having the perfect experience or the perfect situation. Women are constantly ta- uh, telling and exta- exchanging stories of their experiences. That's, how, that's why you talk for three hours at a time. Some do it in pride, others out of pity. In both, women are looking for how their experience compares with other ladies. Now, here's my word about natural childbirth. In my nearly 25 years of pastoral experience, I've watched natural childbirth as a standard held toward Christian women from those who who hold that, that's the way to do it, but it ends up being a, 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 a banner of failure upon them when they tried to go natural and ended up needing an epidural, or there was a serious emergency and they needed a C-section. I have seen it, and my wife has experienced it, where there, there's this, oh, as if to say, you couldn't go through with it. Well, you know, God provides. That's a very sad occurrence within the church. Now, personally, my, my feeling is, I don't know, because I'm, I'm a man, so I'm a wimp when it comes to physical pain. But listen, I don't know why you would choose. No, I think I'd like to feel that curse all the way. That's what I would like to do. Eve, that was your curse. I want to feel it all. Yep, 20 hours, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Give me that. I don't understand that personally. Now, I've interacted with other ladies who, who God has led them in that experience in a unique way to trust him. But you're just as trusting for a healthy baby, when you get an epidural. We can't, like, we can't do this weird comparison to 
where it leaves another woman feeling like she wasn't woman enough. She wasn't godly enough in that situation. No, we celebrate health. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate health. Let me find my place. All right. So this, we can't, we can't hold up uh, undue pressure as a standard. Because that's what the culture is doing. Now this, uh, I, I've also seen this uh, in my own house, sadly. The, just the comparison, um, <laughs> ladies, after, you, when I, I hear it, somebody else is pregnant, you're jealous of how they look when they're pregnant because either they're skinnier than you were or they just are so fit and beautiful and you weren't. You're just a beach whale and you just felt that all the time. Compare sizes afterwards. Oh, it took me eight years to get over being pregnant. But it took you like eight days. I'm so jealous of you. Ladies, it's comparing, comparing, comparing. I think the second form, it show, the pain shows up one in childbirth, but also child rearing, bringing forth children. It's hard to raise sinful children. Period. It is hard to raise sinful children, and it's painful to see them make Foolish decisions when they're young and when they're old. You know, a mother's pain in childbearing and bringing forth children, it never goes away no matter what their age is. If they haven't made bad decisions, then you're just, you're, you're afraid they're going to make bad decisions. So you're afraid of the potential of bad decisions. But ladies, understand this. Men are called to sow into the soil. Your call is to sow into the soul. There's a strength there, but a woman will escape. Escape into her career to distract herself from the pain that it takes to raise children, or she will press for perfection to ease either a perceived pain, an actual pain, or potential pain. But so here it shows up with women constantly comparing and posting. They, the women, you're, you talk about your experience in childbirth, but you also talk about your kids. But in that is their subtle comparison of, okay, what are you doing? I'm not doing that. You're feeding him that? Oh, no, I don't feed him that. And so this it's weird inferiority complex that men are not putting on you. Men don't do that. We're like, we got food? Great. Pretty simple. But it's like, why can't you be more like us? Just It's food. You don't have to figure out where it comes from. And you're not destroying your child's body by giving them the food that's cheaper. Look, I, fresh produce is wonderful. It just took me 25 years to afford it. We now are benefiting from fresh produce. We couldn't afford it before. I, just, I, I watch ladies and new moms, they get under this pressure of, hey, I, mail order? Sure, I'll try that if it's fresh and you're doing that and your kid looks healthy and they're going to end up in Harvard. So that's okay. I'll do that. So look, you, you compare foods, you compare schools, you compare rules. And what are you all doing? You go home and like, all right, so-and-so is trying this. I think we need to try that. Because their, their child's obedient. Ours is not. No. You just happen to see when their child is obedient. Because they're not obedient. 
and receive. Look, when they're obedient for other people, that's a good mark of your parenting. So receive that. Like, all right. They were helpful to somebody else, but they were helpful. Thank you, Lord. Something got through. So we have them at home, and we work, and we labor. But listen, just a dose of freedom here, ladies, for those new moms and those with children still at home. Your children, at best, are average. And that's okay. It's okay. Your job is to not get them all healthy so they can be wealthy. Your job is to not put them in the right school. You're not, your job is not to manipulate all the circumstances so they are protected from every type of pain that they could ever experience in their lives. Here's your responsibility. Put them in the best position to hear God's voice. That's strong, fierce woman. Because when your prayers go before the Lord, he responds, he listens. There's also a pain for children who have, uh, ladies who have no children. We see that even in scripture when uh, wives who don't bear children or uh, single women who long for that experience, but they feel like something's lacking because it's by God's design. We're going to talk more about that in a couple weeks uh, when we look at the call to motherhood. But ladies who have no children are not immune from comparisons and the pressures for perfection. The root of comparisons is, is looking for other ladies and their experiences to rescue you from your, experience, your painful experience. But listen, you need to look at Christ and know your identity as his daughter and co-heir. When comparisons run wild, you'll fall into the next temptation. You'll blame men and take control. It's your fault that this is the way it is. So you need to change something around here. And if you don't do it fast enough... I'm going to do it. And that's what Genesis 3.16 says. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, this concept of desire is not a neediness. It's not like, great, you can always need my husband for everything. Nope. This is a desire that's a deep craving to overtake the position of your husband, the position of a man, a deep craving to kick him out and you assume authority. The same, the same word that's used uh, it, it, in the Hebrew, the original la language means a violent takeover. And it's used, it's the same word used when God's talking to Cain and telling him sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Temptation is to resent man's leadership and take control of it. Now where a man abdicates, easy to assume control. The takeover for control occurs most often in your communication. A woman has a unique way of empowering a man and bringing him to his spiritual and mental and emotional needs with a word. You know, there are times when uh, I'll have difficult conversations with people and I still sleep at night. But if my wife and I have a difficult conversation, and I know I have not done something, maybe I have not provided for, uh, just even if it's just fixing something she's been asking for for three years. Just, just that. When I know I've disappointed her, that's when I'm like, man, 
Life is miserable right now. When a woman speaks in a demeaning way to her husband that emasculates him and, and removes his leadership and headship, it's as if, and this is what it feels like for the man, it's, it's as if somebody just punched him and broken a rib. Rather than having that rib be strong to protect, he walks around with a limp, can't breathe well, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking. Now, there's a way for women to speak edifying words to a husband, to a boss, to whomever, even in the church, there's, there's a way for a woman, a woman to speak edifying words while still drawing attention to where a man's falling short. But a man already knows where he's falling short, and his struggle is, I don't want to be reminded of it, so I'm going to try to escape that condemnation. So he'll respond with either more abdication or aggression, and try to shut everybody up. But that's not how God wants it. A man knows his failures, but he needs help in overcoming them. The takeover for control is, is, occurs also in manipulation tactics. You have power. You have power over a man with your body. You can get what you want by withholding from him. Absolutely, you can, and you know it. Sometimes you've used it. Sometimes you use it to get a baby. Oh, you don't want a baby right now? I do. You have power. You will also seek, happens I think with, with raising children, seek to be the Holy Spirit by setting up all the factors so you get the right answer from your husband, you get the right answer from your kid, you set everything up, but listen, if all you're going after is behavior modification in your husband and your kids, it will frustrate you more and more and more. It will pile on frustration. But when you submit to the work of the Holy Spirit, he will bring about a better result than you could ever wish for. Or imagine. Now, ladies, what is your hope? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. Trying to duplicate an experience of somebody else will not grow your faith. Looking to Jesus will grow your faith because he was able to look at the pain of the cross and have joy. That's why we look to Jesus. There is a way to look into pain and see the fruit of spiritual inheritance. That's what fierce femininity is. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He's caring. He is the caring one who knows your soul the best. Run to him. And here is your hope. Pour yourself out. Isaiah 58. Another helpful passage from Elizabeth Elliot. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you should be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. What promise, ladies? You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Pour yourself out for your husband. Pour yourself out for your children. And God hears. And God responds. And we have churches. We have homes that shine the glory of God. Not perfect homes, true homes. We have, we have 
churches that will shine. We have neighborhoods and workplaces that will shine. That's when you glow. Ladies, that's when you glow. To pour yourself out for the hungry and then wait for God to show up in the scorched places. But your bones will be strong. You'll be the water garden and you will give yourselves out. You will flow. Look, whose waters do not fail. How often are you wondering, is this even working? Am I getting through with my child? Am I getting through with this person I'm trying to communicate? Trust the Lord. Your waters will not fail. And they'll supply such strength that it'll last for generations. What promise? Ladies, we need you. Your children need you. Restoring breaches. Repairing breaches and restoring streets. Lord, I ask that you would please mark the ladies of this church with such a fierce determination to love you more than anything else in this world. And I pray for fruitfulness. Maybe uh, not, not necessarily for a fruitfulness that they see immediately. Lord, we know we sow and we trust you to provide the waters and the reaping. But I pray for joy in the midst of their sowing into the souls of the men in their lives. Lord, anoint them by your Spirit. Anoint them so they they will be the strength that you are to your people. And they they will proclaim your help as they help. Empower them through your Spirit. Anoint them in your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name.